Dr. Dale on Quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. Thank you for spending time with us. You know, Dr. Dale Rollins is always looking for an interesting story to tell. This month, he travels to Fort Stockton, where he introduces us to the Lanham Hunting Buggy, which he has used for years and thoroughly enjoyed. Let's go to Fort Stockton now with Dale and his special guest. Well, thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with you all again in this uh, new year and looking forward to uh, hopefully some wetter weather than we've had over the last six months. Uh, I want to, we're going to play a little deja vu here uh, this week uh, with a very interesting guest and a very interesting product. For those of you that were raised during the 60s and 70s, you probably know somebody that had a Volkswagen Beetle or a microbus, or you can still hear the sound of that air-cooled engine and so forth. And I want you to know that the VW is alive and well in the Permian Basin and Trans-Pecos regions of Texas, and much of that is because of my guest today, John Lanham with Lanham Industries in Fort Stockton, Texas. And so, John, welcome to the uh, Dr. Dale on Quail podcast. And if you will, give us uh, give us your elevator speech. Give us your biography briefly about uh, where you're from and, and kind of how you got started. John Lanham from Fort Stockton. That's where I was born and went to school and went to school down in Corpus, kind of a college for automotive and then when I got back home, it was a Vietnam War, so you had to go to service if you weren't married or had some kind of problem with you. So I uh, went into the Air Force August 31st, 1997. I mean, 67. And worked on F 111s, stayed there four years, and then came back to Fort Stockton and continued to work for my dad. And, uh, rancher out west of town brought me some old Volkswagen buggy that he had built. I want to know if I'd work on it. I said, well, sure. Well, I know you know how to work on Volkswagen, so yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I'd work on them, and he'd bring them back, and I'd work on them again. Then I went out to the ranch at the Stone Ranch, J.W. Stone. So he went out there, and, and he asked me if I wanted to, you know, go out there and go, well, what do you do? Well, you just drive a buggy around him. And we were doing coyote hunting then. When a coyote gets up, you take him down and chase him and shoot him with a gun. I said, well, okay. So I rode with a man from Alpine. And we hunted all that morning and went to the house and had a great lunch. And then after that, David Moore's the one I was riding with. He asked me, he said, uh, you want to drive? And I said, sure, I want to drive. Who wouldn't want to drive one of these things? So you get out on that ranch and just drive over anything. You come up to a little draw, just go down through it. You know, just drive over everything. It's unbelievable that you could take a vehicle and do that. But it had a skid plate from the front all the way to the back, and so you weren't going to tear anything up, and you might get stuck and you had to push it off or something like that. But I just fell in love with those buggies. So when I got home and uh, started thinking about building a buggy. I tell people it only took me two weeks to get one built, probably took me two months. But anyway, I got my own buggy built. And then I'd ask JW, can I come hunting some more? Oh yeah, no problem, just come anytime. 
So I'd take a friend with me to ride around with a buggy, and we had a couple other people had buggies, and, and then when we get back home, that friend would say, let's build me one. So we build them one, and uh, just keeps on going like that for three or four years, you know, and then uh, I was still working for my dad, but it, I wanted to go to work for a dirt contractor. I went to work for him, and I was still building buggies, and I built me a little shop at my house, and, uh, and that's where I was when I was one year old. My dad took me out on this property where my shop is, and uh, so I've been there my whole life, and I'm still there today building these buggies. But uh, so you build one, and somebody else, and somebody comes and wants you to build them one. And so that was the first one. It was uh, to uh, Wilson Smith had brought me an old car McGee and wanted a buggy built. So I built him a buggy, and that was the first one I actually sold to the public. And then Clay Evans over at Marfa, that's where we were hunting coyotes. That was in uh, 77, and uh, he wanted a buggy. So we just keep hunting buggies and he, you know, building buggies and hunting and bu building buggies, and, and it just keeps going and going and going. And even today, you know, we have a list of uh, about 30 people that will still want them if we can get them built sooner or later. Right. Um, for those of you who have been to the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, chances are you've seen my buggy sitting there with four setters in the back seat there and uh, sitting proud. And uh, that I tell people that is the most photographed photograph of anything on the research ranch are those setters in the back of that buggy. And right after we got the ranch back in uh, 2007, I had Ray Sasser uh, who was the uh, outdoor editor for the Dallas Morning News, come out and, and we rode around in the buggy and uh, I could stop and I would say, okay, need a volunteer. And one of those setters would bound off and Ray was very impressed with that. And then he took a picture of me and the dogs approaching him in the buggy and all those dogs were looking right at him. And we had a full page spread the following Sunday in the uh, Dallas Morning News. And I tell people that you would like to, you'd like to think that people were saying, well, where can I send my donation? Where can I send a check? Uh, but the most common question I got from that was, how did you get all those dogs looking in the same direction? But it made for quite a <laughs> photograph. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm the proud owner of uh, one of the Lanham Ranch buggies. And, uh, but prior to buying my own in 2013, back in 99, uh, I had a qu blue quail project going on on the Sherman Hammond Ranch out here southwest of Fort Stockton. And I had a graduate student by the name of Bobby Bunton. A shout out to Bobby. And a shout out to the group of ranchers that helped fund that project. Uh, uh, Ernest Woodward, uh, Harlan Lambert, and uh, Bentley King, and several others. I, I just generically referred to them as the Blues Brothers. And they were putting up half the money for this project. And so uh, it, was, it was a good, a good integrated project with good grassroots support. And... Uh, Mr. Hammond had two of those buggies. He had his Sunday go-to-meeting buggy, and then he had a, a work buggy out there that was, as I recall, like 30 years old in, in 1999. But Bobby had access to that one, and after about two days, Bobby called me and said, hey, said you got to try to raise the money and buy us one of these ranch buggies. He said they are the perfect research machine. And so I, I got the information for a guy named John Lanham out of Fort Stockton who I did not know, had not met. But I called Mr. Lanham, and I said, uh, I'd really like to talk to you. If you could, send me a price list for one of your buggies. And, and he told me, and I quote, 
if you'll send your student in here and tell us how you want it built, I'll donate it to your project, end quote. And so really appreciate his philanthropy. That buggy was under the title of Texas A&M University, who I worked for at the time. And so uh, about two years ago, I had to say goodbye to that one when I when I retired, it was retained by A&M, but I bought my own in 2013 because once you've had one of these, it's just hard to imagine living without one of them. Um, let me, uh, and again, Johnny, not, not only thank you for your support of our project, but I know you've got a pretty good history of philanthropy with the uh, Scottish Rite Hospital. So why don't, why don't you explain just what you've been doing there? Yes, sir. Uh when Bobby Button, that was a student out here, he went to the Rocker B Ranch. Well, the Rocker B Ranch is owned by the Scottish Rice Hospital. The owner of that ranch donated it before he passed away to the Scottish Rice Hospital. So they needed, Bobby thought they needed some buggies to ride around out there for quail hunting and so forth. Well, when he went over there to be the, the manager of wildlife and, and hunting, they said, we don't need those machines out here we got horses we got this we got this so bobby finally talked them into buying two and uh so once they got those two and kept them for a couple of years they wanted another one they could see what they needed to do as far as doing quail hunting out of you know out of a vehicle of any kind the buggy is the best way to go and uh, those buggies you know everybody loves those buggies for quail hunting and uh you know, we keep talking about the Scottish Rites Hospital, but at the Scottish Rites Hospital, there was a doctor there that wanted me to, that had been taken out by one of the hunters there at uh, the Rocker B, wanted me to see if I'd donate a buggy. It's called Treasure Street at Scottish Rites Hospital, and it's always in October. And so the, so the man that was at the ranch called me and and uh, asked me if I'd donate a buggy to the Scottish Rice Hospital through Treasure Street. I said, sure, you will? And I said, well, sure, they they got buggies. That's what keeps buggies going is people wanting to buy them to quail hunt out of. So anyway, I donated a buggy to them, but I wanted to go to the auction. So I went to the auction with them, and took the buggy up there and watched it being live auction. And Dr. Rafton was wanting to buy one of them. But he didn't want to, you know, pay a premium for them, so he thought he could get one pretty cheap. Well, they, his wife and some other lady were doing the bidding at the very end. And uh, when the lady went up to 61000 Dr. Rafton's wife, she said, that's, uh, that's all for us. We're not, that's as far as we're going. So I asked uh, the uh, auctioneer, let me have a the microphone I'll go ask her she'll take one for 61 so I went over there and she said sure she will so that one night two buggies brought the Scottish Rites Hospital $122,000 and I would have never dreamed of seeing a buggy sell for that kind of money but anyway that was a blessing for me to see that happen and uh, of course anybody that has a buggy would uh, you know would be bidding on it but that lady that was that took the bid and, and you know took the first buggy they asked her well what do you know about ranch buggies well we don't know anything about them but my husband said we're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars here tonight so that was the easiest way to spend that money but for seven years i donated two buggies to the scotch rights hospital 
and it has helped you know all the children in Texas or all over really that that need some kind of operation on their back or dyslexia or anything it's just it was just a blessing to me to get involved with that and be able to do that for seven years and and that was a kind of deal about it well that's a great cause a great organization the rockabees great ranch a lot of blue quail out there so again thank you for your philanthropy now i'm going to try to describe for you what the niche is here in west texas for a, for a lanham ranch buggy and it's kind of a cross between a horse uh, a good four-wheel drive pickup and a helicopter I mean, it just goes just about anywhere. And if you've ever hunted out here uh, southwest of uh, Midland, Odessa area, odds are you know the country is uh, can range from flat to undulating to mountainous. But uh, common is going to have a lot of sticky things out there, mesquite being number one, creosote, and some other pretty much nasties. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But when you think about quail hunting rigs you've probably seen a book uh, produced called quail hunting rigs of texas I, I apologize i don't remember exactly the name but a color nice color coffee book kind of coffee table book and you thumb through there and it's basically all south texas hunting rigs and when i say that typically a ford f-250 with that big aluminum dog box on the back holding eight dogs and then uh, seats up on top uh, so those are super nice. I hunted one, hunted out of one recently. Really nice, but uh, this is a this is a paradigm shift with these ranch buggies. And so, again, out here they're using them for general ranch work, just getting across the country uh, for uh, blue quail hunting, especially. And I got to preface this by saying, uh, some of you may frown upon the idea of using a vehicle to be hunting quail from. It is legal in Texas on private grounds, and it's pretty popular and pretty common, especially for blue quail. And there are various ways of doing that, some of which, again, uh, you may or may not approve of. But I kind of take the approach of when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And uh, there's a technique out here called the circle technique, where basically three or four buggies or jeeps, whatever the case might be, will be traveling across this old short scrub brush and then when a covey of birds flies up they'll somebody will sound an air horn which alerts the people to watch where the covey goes down they circle around it much like uh, people people on the face of a clock dial uh, eight or nine people and then they turn a flushing dog a labrador or a cocker or something like that in there and those birds come out typically three or four five at a time uh, it may sound dangerous could be if you didn't know who you was hunting with but the basic rule is you don't shoot unless you have blue sky and uh, so if, if you've ever had the opportunity to be on one of those, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very effective way uh, to uh, take blue quail. Um, one of the things that I wanted to just really mention was, again, sometimes it's more of a rat patrol, as I'd call it, from the old 1960s um, TV series where you just go across country and when they see some and then basically charge and uh, get after the birds like that. You know, one thing that I've told my some of my colleagues is when those blue quail are uh, flushing and, and you're chasing them with a Jeep or a buggy, if there is a fence within sight, and I mean 400 yards or so, I, I nearly promise you those birds are going to fly across that fence. They've learned that that's their escape behavior uh, if they're being hunted by a buggy kind of thing. Uh, my, some of my colleagues say, all oh, birds can't reason like that. 
And I said, all I know is what I've seen. And believe me, if there's a fence in sight, they're going to do it. Uh, Johnny, you started this in what, about 75 or 6? I sold the first buggy to the public in 1975, and it was to uh, uh, Wilson Smith out of Fort Stockton. And then just kept going from then. I built one for Clay Evans. He had the ranch out towards Marfa, towards Valentine. That's where the giant was filmed. I built him a buggy in 1977. And it just kept, you know, just kept getting better and better and better. But, but out there, that country is so wide open. You know, people take a Jeep or a four-wheel drive pickup or something and go hunting on around on the ranch. And it may take them six or eight hours, you know, to do a good quail hunting. Well, in a buggy, within two or three hours, you've done exactly the same as they have because they, they had to putt-putt along. But you just take a buggy, you don't drive fast. But they're so smooth, you don't realize how much country you're covering. And I uh, do a lot of coyote hunting over there, you know, to help raise the antelope and the deer and, and quail and stuff like that. We hunt those coyotes. But, and I have a lot of ranches over there. And right now, I have 3,500 sections of land that I could just take my buggy over there and, and my friends, and we can go coyote hunting. Well, 3,500 sections is a mile wide from here to Fairbanks, Alaska. Wow. <laughs> that is a, you just don't understand that, but it, that's what it is. You know, you're getting a, a ranch that's got 150 sections, or you're getting one that's got 200 sections, or you're getting one that's got 50 sections. It adds up pretty quick that way. But you take that buggy on like a normal quail hunt or coyote hunting that we do, you get up in the morning, Saturday morning, and you hunt all day long, and you run a hundred and 10 miles, 115 miles. You load, you fill your buggy back up. Next morning, you get up on Sunday morning and hunt half or three-fourths of a day, and you've done another 85 miles. That is a lot of country, even just down a road. But this is all off-road. And, uh, and and when you get in one of those buggies for the first time, and you start looking out in front of you, and your driver's going, and you keep looking at that mesquite, and you kind of look at him, see if he's going to turn away from it, or not, and then all of a sudden he, he goes over it. Wow, I didn't know I'd do that. We were up in New Mexico hunting one time, and there's a oh a pretty steep little mountain out in front of us, but it was smooth. And this the owner there, first time he ever been in a buggy, he said uh, that mountain out there you got to go around on either end, and we have radios, and so you might tell your guys to go around on either end. Well, okay, so I kept going. He said, I don't think you can go up that mountain right there in front of us. You need to go around on either end. And I just kept going. I went up and over the top and started down the other side. Don't let me tell you where to go. <laughs> he just couldn't believe that you could take it. And, it, and it, you don't do it in hard driving or anything, just nice and easy. That buggy would just pull you right up and over. And then, and all the country that you can see in such a short time is is just uh, amazing. You have to experience it. You can't, you, there's no way you can experience a buggy unless you go out and get in one. I don't try to sell them. And uh, so somebody will take somebody that hadn't been out in a buggy. Where do you get one of these at? Oh, you need to go to Fort Stockton. Maybe you can get one. Well, I, I love to have strangers, newbies in, <laughs> in mind. And uh, you'll be driving along and see some rough country coming up ahead, you know. And I'll put her down in a second and kind of goose it just a little bit. And you've got a 
oh shit bar over here, you know, to hold on to kind of thing for if you don't trust your driver. But I'll I'll hit that, you know, with, with a little bit of speed. And then when you go over to, I say, man, that was smooth. I said, try that in your three quarter ton four wheel drive Ford pickup, yeah. because you can almost sip a martini <laughs> out of that because of the light suspension. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. But uh, how many over your career, Johnny? How many have you made? You know, the closest I can figure is so many a year, and right now I think it's maybe 450 that I've built. You know, the ones just with friends, I built them one, and you know they were helping, and then the ones I, all the ones I sold to the public. You just, you know, every day or every year or something, somebody will call you and say, John, I got to bring my buggy. Who is this? Oh, don't you remember I got mine back in 86? And I'm going to bring it over and let you go through it. So they'll bring it over, and you refurbish it. Of course, all you got to do is kind of strip it down, repaint it, update it to the way we build buggies now. You put different things on it that are made, makes it a bigger buggy, better, better buggy. And uh, so they got them another buggy for another 40 years, you might say. And everybody that has one are always asked, Will you sell me your buggy? If you look in the livestock weekly, every week or every month or something, every once in a while you'll find one of those buggies. It says, Lanham buggy for sale. Or then it'll say, I will buy any Lanham buggy. There's always somebody looking for a Lanham buggy. And you know the Lanham part, I probably built buggies for 25 years, never wanting to put Lanham on them. We started putting underneath... If you find one of them, you'll, underneath the passenger side on the skid plate, you'll see a month, like two, of double O, which would be of 2000. That's when the buggy was built. And then if you wonder if it's a Lanham buggy or not, if you'll look on the front skid plate, doesn't matter which buggy it was, from the very first one till the last one, there's evidence of where there was a horseshoe on the front skid plate. Most of the horseshoes are always still there, but somebody might put a winch on, they'll cut part of the horseshoe off, the main part of the horseshoe is still on there. So people ask me, well, how do you know it's a Lanham buggy? Well, look on the right-hand side on that uh, gusset, and it might say Lanham. But if it doesn't, go up front and look on the skid plate. And if it's got evidence where there was a uh, horseshoe, it's a Lanham buggy. And, uh, you know, when you are building something with your name, you don't want to hurt the Lanham or the, your, your name. So that's why I never did put my name on it. But everybody loves buggies now, and when you say Lanham, you know, it means something to them. And so my family, I feel like I'm not not, not honoring, honoring them by putting it on there. And uh, so that's that's the way it is now. Well, I think your reputation is pretty solid. Uh, and, and, again, it, it kind of started out, in, obviously, in Fort Stockton and then kind of grew, I guess, from there. But out, are there buggies in use outside of the the blue quail range in texas uh or let, outside of the permian basin and uh, uh well they're all over Stockton texas. Plateau. They're all over texas for sure and i've taken uh two of them to colorado one of them to oklahoma but but you just never know where they are anymore because somebody see one and they they hunt it down and buy it there's a guy over at uh other side of Midland, that he looks every day for a Lanham buggy so that he can buy it and keep it, refurbish it, or bring it to us and we refurbish it. 
and, and then passed it on. He's he's found buggies that are, you know, 35 or 40 years old, and he'll want to buy them, and, and then I'll kind of try to talk him out of it because he's going to spend too much money trying to sell it because it doesn't really have the best suspension that they do now, and you'd rather get one that had the better suspension. But uh, they're, they're just everywhere. You, you know, <laughs> it's funny, people come by the shop and say, John, I was on the way to San Antonio the other day, San Antonio, and here comes a pickup. He had on a trailer, he had two of your buggies. He's going, I guess he's going out to West Texas hunting somewhere. You just never know where they all are, but there's, they're all over. If, if you just go to, if you want to look on the internet, just put Lanham buggy or something in there, and you'll be surprised what you start seeing. And, you know, I've never advertised it. I've never, you know, had a, what they call a website and all that stuff. I, I don't need it. And, but there's a lot of people that, that are proud of it, that they have one, and they want to let everybody else know that they have one. Let's talk about your production capabilities. Uh, for example, last year, 2021, how many did you build during that time? From when to when? For, during 2021. Uh, we're probably going to only have five completed in, in 21. But but there's only two of us working now, and, and the young man that's working for me that – I can tell him, go get that beetle out there in that bus and let's get the parts off and start building a buggy. And he will he can go and do that. And in uh, about two weeks, he's got a chassis sitting there ready for me to build the engine, the transaxle, do the suspension components. He's done everything else. And, you know, so when people come now and want to order a buggy, I say, well, go here. Here's Fernie. He'll take your order for you. And uh, he'll walk out there and go through a buggy that's still there that hadn't been picked up or something like that and write down exactly how they want it. But like I say, he can go out there and, and get an old Beetle and an old bus, or if we don't already have the suspensions out, and then just put it there in the back and start building it. Everything, and, and when you look at it, you'd think it was built by a machine. It's so perfect. There's every, You can put a level on it anywhere you want to, and, and it'll be perfectly built. It's not a, it's not a piece of junk, is what I'm saying. But it'll last you a lifetime. You may have to put an engine in it or overhaul it, work on a transaxle, do some brake work, add tires and stuff like that. But you'll never have to replace that chassis. And there's somebody out there looking for one to be sold. And there was a lady that I built one of, and she wanted it pink. Well, that's that's all right, but it you know it's kind of hard color to sell. But anyway, she called me ten years later and said, John, uh, I hadn't been using my buggy yet. And I think I want to sell it. And I said, well, okay. Well, what do you think you can get for it? And I said, well, what'd you pay for it? So she said 21000 or something like that. And I said, well, I bet you can get that. And she said, well, how do you sell it? Well, just put it in the Livestock Weekly. So in a couple of weeks, I looked there, and there it was. It was in the Livestock Weekly for $21,000. And a couple of weeks later, that ad was gone. And uh, so I called her, and I said, you sell it? No. But I forgot to renew my subscription or whatever you do when you want to sell one there. So she did that, and I saw it again, and right away it was it was sold. And she called me and told me, thank you, John. I sold my buggy. I hated to, but we just weren't using it. They were in East Texas somewhere. And she just she kept it for 10 or 11 years, didn't want to sell it because they had a, a ranch out at where the uh, Duval plant was over by Pecos. They bought that. It was a sulfur plant, and they started, uh, you know, they were demolishing it. But they owned it, 
And so they had 10 years of hunting, and that's where they they had three buggies, and that's what they'd do, hunt all, you know, the whole season, come out there and do that. And that's why she wanted hers, but they just never did take it out there. Well, they say it takes a real man to wear a pink shirt, and I would think it'd take a real man to, to drive a pink buggy, so I don't know if they repainted it or not, but uh, I love to take ladies hunting, so maybe some, uh, maybe one of the lady quail hunters bought that. I, I hope that's the case. You know, and on, on, on taking people with you, you know, uh, if you'll get a good driver that won't scare anybody, they'll fall in love with a buggy. But you can take some drivers... They want to show you how fast they can go, how they can get them up on two wheels and things like that, so they're going to scare you. But don't ever let them do that. I was riding my cousin one time. <clears throat> my buggy, I broke something, so I was riding with him hunting coyotes. And I saw a coyote, and I told him to get after it. So we took off pretty fast, and, and I knew there was a little draw up in front of us, so I just reached over there and turned the key off. And he started stomping the accelerator pedal. And then he saw I had my hand on the key, so he just kept looking forward. I'd turn it back on, and off we'd go, and I'd turn it back off. Turn it back on, turn it back off. And when we got past that draw, I just turned it on, and we'd kill the coyote. But, and dogs, once a dog, you know, you can have any owner. There's a lot of older people that have buggies. You know, they just ride around the ranch, you know, all the time. They take a dog with them. And once that dog sees you have that key in your hand, he's the first thing that's in there. You almost have to tell him, get out of the driver's seat and get on the other side. But dogs, and Dr. Rollins can tell you that, if you look at those dogs that are on his buggy, it just, you know, those those dogs just up there, as proud as they can be, looking anywhere they can, don't have to run after anything until he says to. Yep. And you can take a dog, you know, and, and work him and work and work him, you know, when you're trying to hunt out of a pickup or, or something like that where the dog has to kind of follow you around. But uh, dogs just love i have a few friends that have left their dogs in there at night they come back out well that dog was trying to make him a little bit better nest to nest in yeah. so he tore his seat up yeah. <laughs> so well mine will after a hard day's hunt uh, two of them will be curled up in the front seats and, and two <laughs> of them will be on the seat up top but yeah and if i if i have to bump them and say okay uh, bill you and joe get up there and in the top seat well it's like my dogs hold a grudge because that's really their territory <laughs> and they really do like it uh let's talk just a little bit john about um I, i'm guessing that in the 70s and early 80s when you started making these your primary competition if you will for vehicles like that would have been a jeep or one of these yugoslavian jeeps called a mutt which is that they have some around midland uh, and then over the last 15 years, the whole UTV market, the Kawasaki Mule, the Polaris Ranger, and those kinds of UTVs have capitalized, uh, almost monopolized the quail hunting market, especially for the blue collar person, the person that's not going to have a 100,000 acre ranch kind of thing. So I'd like for you to contrast, compare and contrast, if you will, take a Kawasaki Mule or Polaris Ranger, and how does the ranch buggy compare with those? Well, you know, the, the ranch buggy is, everything was designed 70 or 80 years ago. And those engines are so simple, they're air-cooled, they don't have any liquid to cool. All you got to do is make sure you keep the fan belt on it, which charges the battery and turns the fan to keep the engine cool. It's air-cooled. So they're really economical engines. You take a Polaris, those are all liquid-cooled. So you have a radiator somewhere. And when you get out in the Marfa area or Fort... Fort Stockton, West Texas, and start driving through mesquites and stuff, 
you might end up with a hole in your radiator or you might knock a radiator hose off. And the skid plates on those are mostly a hard plastic. Well, we had one guy from uh, San Angelo who had a buggy, but he brought his Polaris out and went on uh, the Stone Ranch hunting. Well, at the end of the day, he couldn't understand what all that noise was, and so he looked underneath there, and the whole skid plate had just been torn off. So he brought it to the shop and asked me if I'd put a metal skid plate on it for him. So I did that, and that's what Polaris and those people need to do if they want to build it for West Texas, is to put steel, not plastic. And if you ever owned one, I've never owned one, but I have a lot of friends that talk about ones that they've seen and they've owned and stuff, and when you go to get it repaired, you got to take it to a dealership. There's not many people that work on it. And uh, when you get your bill, you know, wow, I didn't know I was going to spend that much. But anyway, so you take it out again. And now you're down, you're going to have to spend that again. And most people that have Polaris and things like that, that really work them hard, after about three or four or five years, the dealer says, maybe you ought to trade it in on another one. Well, a lot of these buggies that are still being used today, just like they were 40 years ago, are, are just, they're still good. They'll be good for the next 40 years or 100 years, whatever, as long as you just, you know, you have to keep the engine up, of course, you have to keep the tires on them, ball joints, battery, just the normal things. But as far as framework, there's nothing can compare to that. I, there's nobody been, anybody built one. You know, the Mutts, those were built to kind of copy a, Volkswagen suspension. Each wheel was independent. Well, when they were in the military, it was kind of not a secret, but it wasn't well well told about. But when they started selling them to the public, there was a lot of people got killed in them because they would turn over those. The suspension, the way they designed it, would fold up under them, and, and when that buggy, I mean that mutt turned over, it would kill the people that were usually in it. And of course, Jeeps, if you, you know, if you ever watch the old movie, you'll see a wagon going along. Those people are just bouncing around, 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 around. That's what it is in a Jeep. Because the suspension is harder than the terrain that you're in, so it doesn't have to absorb any of that shock. The whole vehicle tries to absorb it. And a buggy, if you watch when you're out riding around, if one, if you ever get to do that, just look at the right front wheel, the left front wheel, or the rear wheel. And that wheel just going up and down, but you're, you can sit there and, Oh, like a martini, like I say, in your hand, you won't spill it on you anything. The suspension, which was designed 80 years ago, is still being used today in those Volkswagen. And that was the smoothest. Of course, a lot of it's in the tire, too. You run a low pressure in the front, you run 15 pounds, you run 20 in the back. That tire will absorb a lot of that shock. Those Polaris and so forth, they put those great big old soft tires on there so when you get in there and run around you just have a, such an, a good ride because that, tar, that tire is absorbing that shock but when you put a tire on it that you can go out and hunt quail in to keep from puncturing you know you're going to get a rough ride and so there's just really no comparison if you ever had a buggy or if you have a Polaris find somebody with a buggy and go hunt the same East Texas you know the little old bitty ranches they got a big ranch out there it's got a hundred hundred acres well, in West Texas, you know, most ranchers are 50, 80, 150 rent, uh, acres. I mean, uh, sections, not acres. We, we hunted on a ranch up at uh, McGuire's up there close to Fort Hancock. It's 175,000 acres. 
and it had five different uh, styles of, of surface, you know, sandy, rocky. Just It was just unbelievable, and that was the ranch that I loved to go to the most because it gave you the most challenge of when a cow got up, you could still take him. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm always impressed with the smoothness of the ride, especially if you're in the lower seats. Now, again, you got, you know, you, you're side by side in the lower seat, and then you've got either a one or two person's bench seat up on top or a captain's chair kind of thing. Uh, a little bit rougher up there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's still pretty darn smooth. I've got an 81 Jeep Scrambler, too. And there ain't no more rough riding vehicle in the world. If you ever go down a road that's been muddy and then the cows walk down there, it'll shake you to death. It reminds me of why the uh, uh, Native Americans, they say, used to ride Appaloosa ponies so they'd be mad enough to fight when they really got to where they were going. That's kind of what a Jeep, <laughs> Jeep's compared to. Um, I'm a, and I'm impressed slash amazed that you just don't have flats in them. Now, I've had a couple. But again, when you see some of the country and, and that you've driven over or driven through, it's amazing to me that you don't have more flats. So uh, are you dealing with Kevlar tires or, or what's your secret there, if you don't mind sharing? Back in probably the late 70s, there's a company in, it's called Specialty Tires of America in Pennsylvania. We're building a tire that I was, I was finding in different places. It just got... You know, it's kind of hard to find them, but they were building them, and I contacted them and started buying my tires from that company. And they're a biased tire. That's a secret because you punch a hole in the side of a radio. Once you punch a hole in it, as you start trying to patch it, it just gets bigger and bigger. It just starts splitting. And uh, but the biased tire, you can you can drive nails in it and just keep right on going. You know, on a buggy, you know, it it has tire sealer in it. You run 15 pounds of pressure in the front so if you hit a bush or a mesquite or or even just a rock to try to push it up against it you know and cut the tire it, it won't do it it absorbs a lot of that energy same way with the back there's only 20 pounds there they're a 15 inch tire and a 10 hundred but uh, I've had a lot of ranchers that use them and that's all they use them for is running on the roads around on the ranch and those tires will come back and they'll be bald. And I said, wow, how do you get that much of that time out of them? Well, we just drive on the road. We don't drive off road. But when you go off road, you can wear them down pretty good too. But you can puncture them. But any radio you put on there, radial tire, you put on there and go out, no matter how much sealer you put in it, it's going to, I've had a lot of people, say, well, I bought these, John. I just thought they'd be better. Would you put yours on? And they'll have a just a small hole in them. But the tire looks brand new. So, yeah, we can do that. And he said, well, I just can't keep airing. I got all the sealer, and I plug it, and I have to keep plugging it, keep plugging it. And uh, so about 15 years ago, there was a guy came by going hunting with us, and uh, I saw he had a sealed two bottle. And I said, what do you do with that? Oh, you air your tires up with it. Said, oh, okay. Because we used to just have little old pumps. Then we bought a little electric pump. That you, If you had a miss... Uh, a mistake or a problem with your tire you could air it up but it'd take you 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes for a little air pump but you can take that co2 fill it fully uh, one of the 10 pounds fill it full of co2 co2 can be compressed back to a liquid so as you use it it boils off you still you have so much of it it's not like an air tank or anything like that when you put 150 pounds of air in an air tank 
you air up one tire and it's completely out. Well, you can take that sealed two bottle, have it completely full, and as you start using it, especially on the rear tire, you could take 50 of those rear tires, have them completely flat, and air them up to 30 pounds with one bottle of sealed two. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty good because I've most of the flats that I've had with the thing have been because I didn't notice when I took off them I had a low tire on the front popped off. and then you take a you take a curve <laughs> and, and you pop it off the bead kind of thing so that's that's what I call an ID 10T era spell that out I-D-I-O-T and, and blame that one on me but most but, of the time when you're driving even if you didn't look at your tires when it's the buggy starts pulling left or right you need to understand that's not normal so you stop and you get over where if it's to the left you go over there and well that left tire is almost right, flat right so you fix it but uh or repair it but it in driving in it you can all the problems that you're going to be having with the way it driving like low tire or something like that you're going to feel it in the steering wheel even if it's on the back you know it just keeps wanting to pull to the left exactly and uh let's talk about some of the adaptations specifically for quail hunting johnny uh I, I know I've seen some with dog boxes on them, so talk to us about what you you offer. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, basically, if, if I come in there and we do business, you're going to ask me, what do you want on it, basically? It's totally customizable. Is that correct? Yes. Every buggy, is the framework is built exactly the same, even from the beginning, except when I was uh, building the early buggies, especially like for Clady Williams, I built some in the early 70s and uh, I built, built them to fit me. Well, I'm a pretty short guy, and uh, but I'm not heavyweight or anything like that, so I could just get in that buggy and go anywhere. Well, when you start selling to the public, you better know who you're selling it to. And we've started putting tops on buggies, and so you have a rancher come in, and you, he, he wants to put a top. Well, you have to measure him. It's kind of like when you used to go into a... Uh, store and want to buy some shoes they put this little thing on there and show you the width of your shoe the length of your shoe and all that well that's the way a buggy is if, if you're very tall we're gonna to have to raise that top up i built one for uh buck owens over there at barnhart and uh put a top on it and then i built him another one and put a top on it well the second one i built i forgot about how tall he was and so when i took it over there, he tried to get in he said no take it back i gotta have it raised up so i had to bring it back to the shop and raise it up but uh and, and when you walk in there if you want this rack that rack if you want any color you want if you want any clothes well, now we put a lot of those lights up on top those led lights we put leds in the front now on the lower where we just usually had to work right but we put lights all over them anything a person wants any color he wants and uh then as far as uh dog boxes you have to show us your dog box what you want what size you want, how many uh, boxes do you want on there. If you want a Yeti cooler in the back, you know, to carry some cold drinks and stuff like that. It's it, it just, there's, whatever you can dream up, we can probably do it. And, you know, the Bills are the ones that really started with the dog boxes. We've built quite a few buggies for the Bills out of Midland, and uh, every buggy they got has got dog boxes on it. Down the front there, they got a little place you can give them a drink of water when they can, when they get stopped. You know, uh, it's just uh, it's just amazing what people will want, but you never did even think about it because you don't want it. Right. And, uh, but you want to make it right when they come back to get it. 
But it, one thing that, uh, and maybe it's available, but the way I hunt is I'm just roading. I'm not, you know, roading or going cross country, but I'm not multiple vehicles, just, just my buggy with my dogs in the back. And so you typically you're easing along there in first gear, sometimes second gear would be a more quiet muffler. Uh, I have, I guess what I'd call the standard Volkswagen yeah. kind of muffler. Do you offer a, uh, a, a more quiet muffler for those of us that, that, for example, the Kawasaki Mule rides very quiet yeah. as opposed to the Polaris Ranger. Can you quiet the, Can you quiet that motor down some with the proper muffler? The Polaris, well, all those ATVs, the little engine they use doesn't have quite the horsepower that we put in our engine. But when you sit down in that driver's seat or even the passenger seat, you turn around and look, you can see the engine. Well, in the Polaris and all those, where is the engine? Well, it's down in there hidden somewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's one factor that you don't hear them because they're covered up with all kinds of stuff on them. Uh, we call it, it's called a Flowmaster, and it gives you the sound of the old Chevrolet back in the 60s, nice little rumble sound. And we've started adding those to every buggy that people want a quieter muffler. Before that, they were straight pipes. Then they, we came to a, what we just call a glass pack, and now we're putting flow matchers on them, which are a real nice, smooth sound, and they're a lot quieter than the old the old system. But people just don't realize when you sit in that seat and you turn around and you can see the engine. Well, if once you get in your car or whatever and take the dash out and look at the engine and fire it up and see if you don't hear it, right. that's, that's the problem people don't understand. I, and I understand about trying to make them quiet and we, we try to do it best we can to not take away from the horsepower or, or anything like that. Two things that at least mine doesn't have uh, and I'd like for you to discuss why. Uh, one is, uh, again, I love my Kawasaki Mule because it's got a plexiglass windshield and on a day when it's less than 40 degrees, it's almost like having a heater. Why don't you put a windshield on them? A windshield, I'd probably put on 10 different windshields but when i sold it to the people i made sure it was removable and when you would get the back the buggy back maybe in a month or two years later or something you ask, where's the windshield oh it's in the barn well what happened well just like you told me when i started driving it and uh, somebody looks at me where have you been you're all dusty it creates a vacuum where you're sitting it creates a vacuum and that dust is drawn in all around you you can you can you just almost laugh when you see somebody that's had a windshield and come up to you after they've gone through a real dusty area because they're just powdered dirt all over them. And, you, you know, you're open. I, I understand. I've hunt, <clears throat> hunt out of my buggy during the winter. Nearly all the time is when I hunt, not, not so much in the summertime. But And that's why I don't... In the summertime, you really want to make sure you have a top. Every rancher that's bought a buggy from us has seen a top. They'll come back and want the top because they use it year-round. And putting a top on is like lowering the temperature 20 degrees from it, the sun beating on your head to the sun beating on that top. So it really, you, you don't even have to try to sell them. They, they sell themselves as soon mm -hmm. as somebody sees one. But uh, uh, back to the... Let, let me move on for the sake of time. Okay. The other thing that mine doesn't have, and it's, it's cost me a time or two, is no gas gauge. Why don't you put a gas gauge on well, if you put a gas gauge on and you get dependent on it and you get in it that morning and it says it's full, you go five miles from town or, I mean, from the ranch or 
wherever you're going, and all of a sudden you run out of gas. And you look, well, the gas gauge was giving you a false reading. But in that buggy, there's not very many people that can get in that buggy in the morning, have it full, and hunt, work all day long without having to add any fuel. You don't have to add fuel. You need to check it. But when you forget to check it, or, or yeah, you know, you know, and you run out one time, well, that's it. You'll always check it. Right. But you get to where you just, that's the first thing you do. You look, see how much fuel you got. But if you're going to go from the house to the barn, you don't worry about that. But if you're going to go 10 miles over there and look at a, a tank that you're going to rework or something, you'll check your fuel. But people that get to depending on the uh, fuel gauge, they're just not that accurate being exposed the way they are in the elements. They're not hidden underneath the, you know, the fuel tank's right up there where you can see it. And, and it just, I just never did. I've put in a few, but, uh, you know, you just, you just don't do it because of the fact that every morning, if you'll just learn to fill it up or know how much you got that you can make today, then you're better off. You never even worry about it. I got to, we're going to have to wrap it up here, John. Um, as far as maintenance, uh, there, there's not a Volkswagen guy just around the corner, typically. Uh, so the, I guess the art, if you will, of being a Volkswagen mechanic seems to be fading about as quickly as quail hunters in Texas. So uh, I, I know I've sent mine back to you to have the master lay hands on it after about eight years. And do you do most of the maintenance work for that kind of overhauls kind of thing or... Uh, briefly, just uh, what, what's your recommendation there? Well, if you're in a little town or, or a big town, it doesn't matter. Try to ask someone if if you know any mechanics are in their 60s or 70s or 80s that you know that still work on the old cars. And if they say, yeah, go see old Tony over there. So you go see Tony. You know how to work on a Volkswagen? Oh, yeah, there's nothing to it. So there's your mechanic. But if you start having problems, you know, anybody can change the oil, filters, and anything like that. Anybody that does work on your, any kind of vehicle you got, could service it out and, uh, you know, grease it up, show you that thing. And, and if you ever get one, you're taught where all the grease fittings are. If you don't want to do it, have somebody else do it. And the same way with the oil. But when you have a major work to be done, it's most likely going to come back to us. There are people still out there that, that do it, but not that many want to do it you know it's just it's just not their deal anymore but right. we're we'll take and you know completely strip them down and uh, update them put uh, you know rebuild the engine rebuild the transaxles all the suspension just make it like when you come and get it wow where's whose new buggy is that well that's yours it's just exactly the frame is we'll never you'll add different things to it to make it better especially if it's 30 years old they're just better things for it where do you, and these are made out of Volkswagen minibus or microbus frames, correct? Right. And where do you find, I mean, you know, those have been gone quite a while, so where do you find enough to keep producing the, the buggies? Well, once I started building them, you know, you'd try to buy every little Volkswagen you could or bus, and uh, it just, and once you started doing that, there's other people that want to buy them too, hear about you, and so they're wanting to buy what you don't use off of that bus or off of that car. So you have a market for, you'll buy a bus, all you take out is a suspension, and if it has the right engine, you'll use it. The rest of the bus is for sale, and so you'll, you know, somebody come by and want to buy it. But I have enough to do at least 50 buggies right now, and when I get, if I ever get those 50 done, 
I'll still have 30 or 40 because I'm constantly buying everything it takes to build them and to keep them going. And so you just, I have a stockpile of transmission, you know, I have over 150 of them. And most people go to hunting for one, it might take them six months to ever even find one somebody wants to sell. But mine aren't for sale, mine are for the parts to keep my buggies going. And uh, so, and then, then I have connections. I just went to Lampasas a couple of weeks ago and there was a guy had been in, in business for 50 years and uh, he was closing down, so they were selling everything he had. So I waited till the auction was over, two or three weeks, a month later, went down there and bought six bus rear suspensions, bought eight front uh, beam assemblies. And all those are used, I understand that, but they're as good as new from Germany. You know, a lot of people buy something aftermarket, well, that looks just like a Volkswagen part. Yeah, it looks like it, but it's not. And uh, so you don't, you know, people say, well, where do you get the engine? Well, I build them all myself. Well, where do you get all the parts? Well, I have all those parts, and they're all still available. But you want all the German stuff. You don't want way aftermarket. And a lot of, some people want to build them buggy, so they order this super front end, this super rear end, and all that. And uh, then when they have a problem with it, or they sell it to somebody, and they have a problem with it, they say, where'd you get that? Oh, they're out of business now. I, I don't know what you can do. And uh, so you, when somebody calls you and needs something or wants it fixed, we can do it. It's, it's just, we have, we love those buggies and we love the people that have them. They're, they're not, like I say, they're not uh, advertised except from somebody that has one and take somebody for a ride and, and then they want one. It's just, uh, it's amazing to me that you can, you know, you, you, just, you hear of people that want them and have had them from somebody else built and they sold them and will come to get one from you. There's got to be a waiting list. So, oh, yeah, so if I want, if I said, John, I'd like to get a buggy, what am I looking at for as far as delivery time? Well, right now, two or three years, no yeah. problem. It just, you know, you just build as much as you can. They're all hand built. You'll take a car, you'll take the body off, and you use the chassis out of that and the front end. You'll find a bus. You cut the rear suspension out, and you use it and the transaxle. And then everything else, all the row bars, all the skid plate, everything is, you know, we just buy it from a metal supplier, pipe, flat metal. We build everything. And when you look at it, you'll be amazed. We No telling how many welders we have come, you know, I work on a few welding machines and stuff like that, and they'll come in and start walking around those buggies and say, who did these welds? They, they just can't believe it's it just it's just perfect you know there's there's it's just not i mean it's, but that's the way we are it, it's quality it's not quantity we don't we don't care how many we build but we won't when you buy one it's going to be a, for a lifetime and if you want to sell it those people are looking for you because they want one of those buggies that was made by lanham well, there ain't no doubt uh lanham craftsmanship as yeah. you've talked about is is uh quite the testimonial for you uh, if if some of our listeners were to say, I'd, well, number one, I'd I'd kind of like to see you riding one of these. I'll invite you out to the Rolling Plains Quarry Research Ranch. Welcome to take a ride in mine anytime. But if somebody was interested in ordering one, John, how would they go about that? Uh, I can give you a, a cell number that you can text me. But as as far as talking about it, until I see a text you're interested in buying one. I don't give. I don't let you use that number to call me because I won't have it in my. Uh, 
why don't why, why don't we do this? Let's uh, let's just have them call me and I'll, I'll filter call, them for you. Doctor Rollins is right. uh, my cell number is three two five six five zero zero three one one because uh, I, I appreciate that when I call John, he answers my phone, but I know he's got a lot of business to take care of on a daily basis. John, it's it's a wonderful machine. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm a proud owner of one. Uh, is there anything that we've not talked about relative to the buggy that that you think our listeners ought to be aware of? Uh, well, you of course, if you buy one or want to own one, you'll need to buy your trailer. And I have different people ask me, well, what kind of trailer do you want? And you'll they'll buy a single axle trailer, and you those buggies are you know twenty five hundred three thousand pounds. If depend on what all you want to put on there. So you're going down the highway at 70, 80 miles an hour, and you have a blowout. That buggy's going to want to roll over in that trailer. So you need to buy a tandem axle trailer. And the minimum you can buy that and still have just a little use of the trailer is uh, like a 14-foot or 16-foot. That's what I recommend. <clears throat> and don't, you know, people ask, well, put a tow bar on it. Well, you know, you, you put that buggy on there, and then a little bit you get to wondering, is it still back there? Because you don't know you're dragging something. So you look at your speedometer, and most people, you know, run 80 or 90 now, and those tires have cedar in them. So those tires are bouncing like crazy back there, but you don't feel it, but you're hurting the suspension so bad that you'll have to take it somewhere. So I built some for Al McCallis. He has a ranch over at uh, Alpine. And uh, so the first few buggies I built him, he had kids from saw Ross working for him, said, well, drag that buggy over to Fort Stockton and get it worked on. So they'd hook it up because he didn't want to really buy a trailer either. <clears throat> so he'd bring it over there, and, and when he got there, wow, what happened to the rear fender? It's all gone. You know, they, they oh, I, I felt something, but I don't know what it was. You know, they were pulling 80, 90 miles an hour. You know, out, out in West Texas, you can pretty well get away with that kind of speed. You know, at least you can see a long way to see a, see a cop. And so I told him, if you drag it over 45, uh, just pull over and leave it right there. Don't don't drag it anywhere else. I mean, well, they, it just you got to take care of it. The main thing. I remember when you donated that one to Texas A&M back in '99. Uh, in the gift agreement, you specified that number one had to be kept under a shed, and number two not be towed, had to be trailered. So again, um, and we were always we always respected that. And another thing on that first buggy. When I talked to Dr. Rollin, that I would donate it, but my opinion of it, it was part of the Aggies' uh, property. It's what I'm telling him. In other words, he couldn't take advantage of it and keep it 10 years or 5 years and retire and take it with him. It had to become the property of uh, Texas A&M. And, and, and you see he has honored that, and that buggy is still... The pride of Aggieland, and that uh, that kind of hurts me still, even though I've got my own personal one. Because chances are that one sitting under a shed down at College Station will never be used for what it was intended for. So from that respect, I kind of bemoan that. But uh, regardless, uh, again, it's a great vehicle, John. We appreciate number one, appreciate your service to us in the Air Force, and I've always enjoyed opportunity to to visit and interact with you and enjoy your buggy. And with uh, with March coming up, it's a great time to just use that buggy, not for hunting, but just for wildflower watching or touring or whatever else. And so 
lots of uses for it. And again, if you have any questions about that, give me a call. 325-650-0311. I'll have a picture of one uh, on the website where you downloaded this um, podcast at quailresearch.org. So you can you can look at it there if you want more information. Let me tell you about one more thing. There's a young man, uh, his parents on the Lahan Ranch out southwest of Marfa. Well, as a child, of course, they had buggies. So he, he'd go out there and ride around that buggy, and pretty soon he got to where he could drive that buggy. And uh, I was over there on a uh, weekend with him, and uh, so he rode with me the next two days in my buggy. And about two weeks ago, and that was back in September, and about two weeks ago, he stopped by the shop and we were busy, and I didn't see him, and he just put a little note there at the, at the door, and I opened it up, and he said, this is Vic. I want to order a buggy from you, and this is formal uh, to get that ordered. And he was talking about, like what I just said, that he rode when his parents would take him around. Then he learned how to drive them and see all that beautiful country in West Texas. You know, a lot of people aren't as fortunate as I am, like I was telling you, 3,500 sections. I just I just go anywhere I want to out there and take a buggy. You know, a lot of ranchers, <clears throat> most places, won't let you get off a road. But out there, you know, they know that that road is there for, you know, pickup or something. But a buggy can just go anywhere it want to. It doesn't leave tracks. It doesn't, you'll never see damage that's been done by a buggy. So anyway, he said, uh, I want to order that buggy, and I just want it kind of plain. And, uh... What I want it for is, is when I have children, I want to keep taking them out to the ranch, riding our buggy, and raise those children, seeing the beautiful country of far west Texas that they probably wouldn't get to see any other way, you know, looking out the window of a pickup or a car. But he, in other words, it's going to be, you know, 30 years for those, or 25 or something for those kids to ever get up to appreciate the buggy. You know, but and and but he's gonna be able to show them all that country, and it just makes you feel good that people use that buggy and and have a the greatest experience they've never had and never would have if they didn't have a buggy. Just like you and those dogs, how those mm-hmm. dogs would have never had the experience that they have, you know, riding in a jeep trying to look around or trying to jump up on top so they can see. Just just when they see you walking out of the office. And they head right to that buggy, and they're yep. sitting up there waiting for you. Where are we going, Dad? <laughs> my, my dogs, thank you. Our listeners, thank you. <laughs> and I thank you. And, uh, Gary, I'm about to bring it to a close, but I did want to say uh, we're always looking for interesting stories, just like the one we heard today from Mr. Lanham. So as, as a listener, if you have somebody in mind that I can make a quail tie to that you think would be a good interview, uh, please let me know, drollins at quailresearch.org, and we'll see if we can get those individuals um, scheduled for a podcast here in the future. I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, the feedback on the pos- uh, feedback on the podcast has been very positive. I want to thank Gordy and Sons uh, for sponsoring it, and again, Gary and your crew there at Farm Bureau and Jonathan Vale with Parks and Wildlife for help doing the magic behind the scenes. And with that, Gary, I'm going to turn it back to you from uh, saying goodbye from Fort Stockton, Texas. Thank you, Gary.
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dale, and thank you, Johnny Lanham. We really enjoyed the ride today as we learned more about the Lanham hunting buggy, its history, and its great use across the state. If you'd like more information about the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast, go to the website of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation at quailresearch.org. There you'll find this episode and past episodes of Dr. Dale on Quail for you to enjoy and share. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. Thank you for spending time with us. Until next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at GordianSons.com.